If you don't want to miss an episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast or any other podcast put out by the Archdiocese, including the Word of Mouth Podcast by Michael Horn in the Office of Laity and Family Life, make sure to subscribe. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or pretty much any other podcast app. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis to find us. And once you've subscribed, make sure to rate us and share us with your friends. The parish likes to, to look at kind of the bigger picture. A priest is an altar priest. They just go, go, go. In the zeal full of Jesus Christ. There is compassion for poor people. And it has this beautiful historic church. Heaven coming down to earth. Thanks be to God. From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Archdiocese of St. Louis. We'll also give an update on Catholic news, courtesy of the reporters from the St. Louis Review and Catholic St. Louis Magazine, the official publications of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So with trust in the Holy Spirit, let's begin. In the long list of notable sports and pop culture icons whose names are forever etched in St. Louis lore on the Walk of Fame in the Del Mar Loop, names like Chuck Berry, Stan Musial, and Jackie Smith might come to mind for most people. And thank you for coming to the St. Louis Walk of Fame, an educational attraction that provides a showcase for the cultural heritage of St. Louis and advances the knowledge, awareness, and appreciation of great St. Louisans and their accomplishments on a national level. At a ceremony on June 23, 2017, another name was added. Today we are honored to induct into the St. Louis Walk of Fame one of the greatest educators in St. Louis history. Her plaque reads as follows. St. Philippine Duchenne, RSCJ, born August 29, 1769. Born in Grenoble, France, Rose Philippine Duchenne was drawn to a life of religious service. She led five religious of the Sacred Heart nuns to the St. Louis area in 1818, settling in the then frontier town of St. Charles, where Duchenne opened the first free school west of the Mississippi. A woman of boundless energy, she also opened convents, schools, and orphanages in Florissant and St. Louis. At the age of 72, she traveled to Kansas to help establish a school for the Potawatomi tribe. Potawatomi tribe. I knew that would trip me up. And her, and her piety inspired the name Woman Who Prays Always. Canonized by the Roman Catholic Church in 1988, St. Philippine de Chen lies enshrined in St. Charles on the campus of the Academy of the Sacred Heart. St. Philippine Duchenne was an icon in the St. Louis area long before the familiar jazz notes echoed down Delmar Boulevard, but she doesn't fit the typical stereotype of the more well-known figures who have also received a star. She wasn't a best-selling musician, a movie star, an Olympian, an author, or a president, yet her legacy continues to this day in the institutions she founded. 
Here's what Joe Edwards, the founder of the St. Louis Walk of Fame, had to say about a Roman Catholic saint being added to the exclusive group. There are 120 people on a selection committee, all the chancellors, the universities in the area, heads of historical societies, arts organizations, and she's a great educator. And, and that's, that's a big reason right there. And it's not every day that someone gets canonized either from St. Louis. Uh, I think it's wonderful. She was born in the 1700s and then came here in 1818, and, and history was written. Uh, first free school west of the Mississippi. I mean, just a magnificent person. Why is Mother Duchenne being added now? Well, 2018 marks the bicentennial of Catholic education in the St. Louis area, but also it's not easy to get a star on the Walk of Fame. There's there so many categories in the St. Louis Walk of Fame, unlike Hollywood where it's, it's just uh, you know music, musicians and actors. Here it's their educators and scientists and sports people and broadcasters and uh, you know of course actors and musicians and literary people and poets. So it's very difficult to get in the St. Louis Walk of Fame. There's still several Nobel Prize winners that aren't in yet. That's how great St. Louis has represented our country on a national level. And the plaques are what set us apart from any other Walk of Fame in the country. It was real important to me to have the plaques in a sidewalk where someone could read a little bit about the person right then and there. Then if they want to do further research, they could. But I, the Hollywood one's nice, but if, if you don't recognize the name, you don't know if it's a silent film star or a great actress or a, you know, the director, uh, this way you find out right away. Plus you find out the St. Louis connection. So it's a, a real good uh, way to get good role models for young people and adults for that matter. At the ceremony, Sister Maureen Glavin, head of school at the Academy of the Sacred Heart, and Sister Sheila Hammond, provincial of the United States Canada Province of the Society of the Sacred Heart, were presented with the star and plaque. Here are some sounds from the ceremony. Today's the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Happy Feast. Happy Feast. I didn't want to walk all over Philippines, so I tried to walk around her. Um, I'm not sure she would be nearly as glad to have this happening as we are. <laughs> she is a very humble woman, and I think she would love the star, but she would like it to be for someone else. But let me just say that nearly 200 years ago, our courageous woman, Rose Philippine Duchenne, set forth from her home in France to come to the new world, that's us, to help bring the message of God's love to those in this new land who had never heard it. With the exception of one year on the Indian missions in Kansas, she lived the rest of her life, 34 years, in the St. Louis area. She found that she had to adapt her dreams to the realities of her new life, even in some ways that today we find difficult to understand. Her legacy lives on today in the Society of the Sacred Heart and the Archdiocese of St. Louis, of which she was chosen one of its patrons. The Society of the Sacred Heart and the Catholic Church of St. Louis are honored today to have her name inscribed in the Walk of Fame. Thank you all for being here.
aspect of St. Philippine Duchenne's legacy lives on in the schools she founded. The Academy of the Sacred Heart in St. Charles was, of course, as was, has been said many times, the first in 1818. At the time, it was a humble log cabin school. What is now known as Old St. Ferdinand's in Florissant was her second home in school, opened the following year in 1819. Beginning in 1821, other schools followed in rural Louisiana and in St. Louis itself. And from her foundations here, other schools were begun after her death. New York, Chicago, Detroit, San Francisco, New Orleans, 24 schools now educate over 10,000 students in the United States and Canada because of Philippines. Villa Duchenne and Oak Hill in St. Louis County are among the 24. Sacred Heart Education is now a global enterprise. Schools in South America, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Africa, and Asia claim Philippine Duchenne as an important link in their educational lineage. Mother Duchenne is a globally known woman whose prayerful presence and God-filled life made St. Charles and St. Louis better places to live and learn. So on behalf of her first school, the Academy of the Sacred Heart in St. Charles, I too am honored to have her name inscribed in the Walk of Fame. Thank you, everyone. After the ceremony, I caught up with Sister Hammond, the Provincial, and Sister Lynn Osick, archivist for the United States-Canada Province of the Society of the Sacred Heart. She brought education and our Sacred Heart education here, and the schools that she founded are her door, and she made a tremendous um, contribution to the to world the of, Catholic of Catholic education in St. Louis. We have a saint on the Walk of Fame. We have a nun, a sister. I shouldn't say nun, a sister on the Walk of Fame. I think she's the first, isn't she? As far as I know. As far yeah. as we know. And so that's kind of exciting. Numerous alums of Sacred Heart schools were in attendance, including Katie Swanstrom, who is currently a faculty member at Villa Duchenne. Well, today is the Feast of the Sacred Heart, and for, the, for us to celebrate this um, uh, arrival of Philippine Duchenne, St. Rose Philippine Duchenne in St. Louis, a city that she loved and um, wanted to bring God's love to share in the city. It's really a momentous occasion for us to be celebrating these two um, occasions on the same day and to have so many of our friends um, gathered in this place, the Loop, which is a real meeting place for young people. It's very poignant that Philippines should be uh, celebrated in a place, um, a, a gathering place of young people in the Loop. She would love this. Katie made sure to point out that Mother Duchenne was especially devoted to the Sacred Heart. I think it's so important for us to remember that, that saints were real people, and Philippine was a real person with real human struggles. Um, it wasn't easy for her when she came here, but she really persevered and, and always was rooted in, in the love of the Sacred Heart. That's, that's really what, what drove her. That was her beginning and ending point. She would, she would absolutely be thrilled. Not that, she's, that her name is in the star, but that um, the love of the Sacred Heart is being known in our community. That's what she wanted. Another alum, Ursula Shamer, was excited to see Mother Duchenne honored in this way. 
since I was four years old, I've been hearing about St. Philippine, who was then Blessed Philippine. But then to actually see this come about, where she's recognized not only by the alums and the um, in the order, but to see her recognized by the city and by the archdiocese and by other people, I think is just makes you feel good about about what we've known all along, how what, what a courageous person she was and what a pioneer she was. Veteran St. Louis journalist Pat Rice is an alum of City House, or the Academy of the Sacred Heart of St. Louis, which opened in 1828 as the third Sacred Heart school established by Mother Duchenne in the area. Pat has researched and written extensively on Mother Duchenne. Well, the thing in St. Charles only went for uh, uh, from fall to spring, and then they were put in almost a shanty. It was a little log cabin. And it was not where people in St. Louis, who she needed people to pay tuition. They weren't, a, a very few families were willing to take their kids. It was like a two-day trip. And then you had to put them on a, you had to hire a boatman to take it across the river. So after just, you know, it, it wasn't a, a, even a full school year. They, they moved to um, a, a man named... Um, Melanthe um, had some uh, real estate development in Florissant, and he arranged for them to have a convent. He didn't pay for it or anything, but it's adjacent to the old Fusantarian, and she lived there. But I think it was only about nine and a half years, and then she came to City House for Maison de Ville. In 1968, City House merged with Villa Duchenne, but Pat says its legacy lives on. But it was, it was a real, in, the school was a real influence in the city. Kate Chopin, who's also on the Walk of Fame, she went to City House. And um, anyway, uh, it produced generations of Catholic leaders here. In the podcast description, you'll find a link to an article by Pat Rice about Mother Duchenne and her legacy. You'll also find a link to a timeline of the history of the Society of the Sacred Heart in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. And for more coverage of the Walk of Fame ceremony, you'll find a link to Dave Luking's story in the St. Louis Review, which you can read online at stlouisreview.com or in the July 3rd through 9th print edition. You're listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Now let's take a look at some of the news and events from around the Archdiocese of St. Louis for the week of June 26, 2017. The Supreme Court issued a ruling on Monday, June 26, in favor of Trinity Lutheran, a school in Columbia, Missouri, that had sued because the state of Missouri denied its application for a recycled rubber playground surface. The Missouri Catholic Conference said it applauds the U.S. Supreme Court's decision and said it affirms the principle that Missouri churches need not be excluded from non-sectarian public benefit programs solely because they are religious institutions. Archbishop Carlson also weighed in, saying, Today's Supreme Court ruling in Trinity v. Comer affirms the free exercise of religion as guaranteed by the First Amendment. Churches, schools, and charitable organizations run by religious institutions provide incalculable benefits for our communities. To deny these organizations public benefits simply because they are religious is to deny this reality. He went on to say, My hope is that Trinity is a milestone 
in a reawakening to the importance of religious liberty in the United States. Though we celebrate today's decision, we know there is much more work to be done. I pledge to continue the fight for religious liberty when government withholds benefits or imposes burdensome mandates on individuals and institutions. On Thursday, June 22nd, the Ways and Means Committee of the City of St. Louis Board of Aldermen held a hearing on Board Bill 58, which would impose a one-half of 1% payroll tax on nonprofit corporations with more than 20 employees in the city. The Archdiocese of St. Louis, including Catholic Charities Agencies and Archdiocesan Schools, joined St. Louis University, SSM Health, and many other prominent nonprofit organizations in testifying against the bill. No vote was taken at the hearing. Another hearing and a committee vote is expected this week. The Missouri Legislature has been in a special session on pro-life issues since June 12th. On June 15th, the Senate passed a bill which was then considered by the House, but an amended version of the legislation was passed by the House on June 20th. The legislation now goes back to the Senate for further consideration this week. As passed by the House, the bill includes, among other provisions, a requirement of annual unannounced inspections of abortion clinics by the Department of Health and Senior Services, provisions that undo the St. Louis City Ordinance 70459, formerly BB203, the creation of mandatory provisions for tracking all aborted fetal tissue, and the creation of a misdemeanor offense if abortion clinic staff ask responding ambulances not to use sirens or flashing lights. For updates on this issue, make sure to follow the coverage in the St. Louis Review. In other pro-life news, the Respect Life Apostolate is currently seeking nominations for two annual awards. The Cardinal Carberry Award is named in honor of the late John Cardinal Carberry for his pro-life leadership and vision and is presented every year to an individual or individuals who have made a significant contribution to the pro-life cause. And the Bishop McNicholas Award is bestowed annually to a Catholic high school or parish youth group exemplifying a consistent ethic of respect for all human life through educational, spiritual, pastoral, and public policy efforts. Nominations for both awards are due by Friday, September 15th. Winners will be announced at the Respect Life Convention on October 22nd, 2017. Contact the Respect Life Apostolate at 314-792-7555 for more information and to make a nomination. The Office of Natural Family Planning is sponsoring the Love and Life Mass and Dinner at the Cathedral Basilica on Saturday, July 8th. Bishop Mark Rivetuso will be the celebrant of the Mass, followed by a dinner catered by the Pasta House. For pricing and further information, please call 314-997-7576. Archbishop Carlson's birthday is Friday, June 30th. You can wish him a happy birthday on Facebook or Twitter, where you can find him at ABP underscore Carlson is his Twitter handle. That's at ABP underscore Carlson. And of course, please offer a prayer for him and his continued ministry to our archdiocese. Now here are the five quintessential stories from the St. Louis Review handpicked by the staff for you to share and discuss this week. You can find these stories at stlouisreview.com slash five things. That's the numeral five things. Or these stories are also in the paper dated June 26th through July 2nd. Young Catholic Musicians, this story looks at how some local instrumentalists and singers use their talents to glorify God. To these young musicians, music is a gateway to faith and fun. Project Life, signs of God's presence emerge from Perryville tornado wreckage because of the hard work of teens on Project Life, a week-long service retreat which drew more than 100 young people. 
God's Garage Sale. God's Garage Sale at St. Clement of Rome in De Pere is a huge testament to love of neighbor and continues the legacy of Jane Corbett's concern for others. Jesus in the Loop, the Living Our Faith section of this week's paper, focuses on the oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine and a Corpus Christi procession down Del Mar Boulevard in the Loop, exposing the Blessed Sacrament to all nearby. Believe me, you want to see the pictures for the story. And finally, Landmark Meeting, an historic convocation of Catholic leaders conference will be attended by 20 delegates from the Archdiocese of St. Louis. For more, we'll talk with one of those delegates, Brian Miller, in just a moment. There's a look at what is happening around the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Remember, for these stories and more, visit us online at stlouisreview.com and archstl.org. Sixteen lay people, a parish pastor, a deacon, and two bishops. No, that's not the setup to a great joke. That is the delegation from the Archdiocese of St. Louis going to the Convocation of Catholic Leaders in Orlando from July 1st until July 4th. And uh, one of those delegates is with me, Brian Miller, Executive Director of the Catholic Youth Apostolate, um, here to talk about this great meeting that's going to happen. It's It's an historic meeting. And uh, why are you fired up about it? Absolutely. We're fired up. The headline in the review, if you read your review, which you all should, of course, so the delegates are fired up for the historic convocation. So uh, it's really a unique opportunity in the church in America. A convocation, a meeting like this hasn't happened hardly ever, if ever, uh, maybe over 100 years since a meeting like this happened, uh, really since the Conference of Bishops was founded. So the bishops think it's important, and the bishops are all so fired up about it themselves, that they're all coming, they're all bringing their own delegations, and it's really an opportunity to live uh, what Pope Francis is asking us to live. So it's about living the joy of the gospel. Every time the Pope publishes a document, especially the first document of his pontificate, uh, when there's a new Pope, it really highlights the roadmap for the church and his vision for the church uh, in the culture today, and it really responds to the needs of our world. And if you've read the joy of the gospel, um, there's some really, really great sections in there about what it's going to take to renew the church. Uh, there's no doubt that we're at a crossroads in the church. There's no doubt that uh, we're, we're losing the culture in a lot of ways. So how do we continue to live lives of witness, lives of testimony, where we can live and showcase that joy of the gospel in our own lives, but also as a church? So I think the, the really the aspects that I'm looking forward to is this call to missionary discipleship that Pope Francis outlines in the document. Um, there's been a lot of wrestling and, and figuring out what that is, exactly what is missionary discipleship, and really the opportunity to um, reinvigorate our structures, whether that be diocesan structures, parish structures, all kinds of different uh, things that exist in the church to really align them to missionary discipleship and re-enthuse them with the joy of evangelizing, the joy of a Christian life well-lived. Now, each day of this convocation, then, is going to be set up to talk about a different theme, some some major theme in the church. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and sort of what you're looking forward to and, uh, you know, how you think you might, things you think you might learn and then also things you might be able to contribute, um, things you might be able to apply then here in our, the Archdiocese? Yeah, I think any, any good business, they're all speaking the same language. They have the same goals in mind. They're running towards the same end. And so many times in the church, we're doing so many different things, so many different things, and they're all important. They're all good. And if you talk to the folks in the Respect Life office, that's the most important thing in the universe. You talk to the folks in the marriage office, and that's the most important thing. You talk to me, I run the youth outreach. I think youth outreach is so fundamental and so important. Um, And sometimes it comes at the expense of having a shared 
vision or realizing how it all works together. And, and the church is consistent in so many different areas of all of these are so important, but we have to really develop a common language and that what this provides with the different themes of each day is to help develop the common understanding of each of these areas and make sure we're using the same language and that as we try to move forward with preaching the gospel in America, that we are really using the same language, using the same ideas and getting on the same page. And then those conversations will then come home in a really unique way. And we know that the folks in the Belleville Diocese and the folks in the St. Louis Archdiocese are going to be talking about the same stuff, using the same language and really trying to reinvigorate our programs and our people to be those witnesses in a very real way. So talking about national unity the first day of talking about where are we as far as a landscape, uh, it's really important to know where you are and where you've been so you can talk about where you need to go. So dialing into renewal and, and where we are today. Uh, and then and then really talking about a lived witness in the work on day three and then day four really focusing on uh, sending us out into missions. So giving us some context for what it looks like to continue these conversations when we get home and really have an understanding of, of what the work is as we as we go forth in a, a common uh, spirit-filled mission is really, really important. And to your point about you know, the different offices and agencies and ministries having their own priorities and stuff, and uh, the delegation that's going to Orlando comprises people from all those different areas. And I think there was, you know, there's probably a lot of work that went into trying to pick these these few people to to represent the archdiocese. So you know we have yourself representing the youth. We have Karen Nolkemper, the executive director of the Respect Life Apostolate. Dr. Nelson representing education. We have uh, Teak Phillips from our office here in communications, as well as Elizabeth Westhoff to uh, learn about that and, and share share that perspective a little bit. We have people from from parishes. We have a pastor. So it's it's a it's a good cross section of the things we're doing in the archdiocese. And I know other dioceses are going to bring a similar type delegation. Um, do you think though that this is a, I mean, this, this seems like something that should have been done a long time ago because like we're all Catholic where it's a universal church, but like you said, now it's time to get on the same page, right? And like, make sure we're all sort of doing the same things, talking the same language and, and really uh, being unified in our approach to a, to a culture that's, um, in many ways, 180 degrees from what we're trying to do. Yeah, and I think if you talk to folks in the secular world again, if you're not over-communicating your mission and over-communicating just the clarity of what you're trying to achieve, it's going to get muddled. You're going to lose morale. People are going to be doing running in 100 different directions. So taking all these different disciplines and the way that we serve, uh, really all of us are trying to strengthen the church and the archdiocese, to strengthen the life of faith in each of these people. And really, ultimately, we're all called to help people increase in holiness. So um, you know, Dr. Nelson Kurt's doing that in education uh, and trying to help our schools be alive in Christ. Different people are doing it all in different ways. Uh, and, and all of us that have been picked have been picked to help make sure that we know what's going on in the other areas too and to bring our own expertise. You know, I, I work in the youth department, but I do a lot of work with other folks talking about evangelization and missionary discipleship and and what that looks like because that's some of my background and experience and I don't want to limit it just to youth. We shouldn't have all the great um, you know, resources in that area. We want to make sure that everyone's on the same page in those things. And there's a lot of different talents and gifts in this group that's going. So to really rely on everyone and, and help move in the same direction is such an important thing. 
Yeah. So it's almost, I think, going to be too much information. It's going to be like information overload for you guys. And I feel, I feel sorry for you. But I think one of the suggestions I saw on, like, on the USCCB website or somewhere was, you know, divide up. So you guys are going to have to divide and conquer and all, all go to different workshops and stuff. Yeah, there's, and there's 22 different workshops at each session. So we have 20, I think, going. So we won't be able to hit quite every yeah. workshop or have representation there. But you have to have a game plan of who's going to what, who's bringing back that information. And then because of that, the huge part of this conference is the follow-up. So we yeah. have on the books already over the next six months, we have five different follow-up meetings with the whole team getting together. There's going to be subgroups that meet to talk about how we implement the joy of the gospel in our archdiocese, how we live missionary discipleship, how we develop a common language and really infuse that in every single aspect of what we do so that no matter we're working on pro-life, education, youth, any of it, that we're, we're talking about missionary discipleship. We're really talking about helping people achieve that holiness that we're setting out to in the new evangelization. That's, that's awesome. And actually, I was going to kind of ask, uh, and that leads into my, my last question, I think, here is um, what's, the, what's the outcome? I mean, what, what's the me- metric for success with this, I guess? Or are there any? Or is that, has that been even discussed yet with your group? Yeah, I don't think there's one metric where we can look and say that, you know, the convocation achieved this. Uh, I, I think the planners of the convocation uh, hoped hoped for this to be the beginning of a conversation and not the culmination of one. Uh, I've been so amazingly impressed by the amount of preparation work that has gone into the convocation. Usually you show up to a conference and they maybe lay out the game plan on day one and you kind of find out the rest of the meeting what all is going on uh, and, and how you can live it better. But really the, the homework has been ahead of time on this to you know read these four documents, and here's a couple different books to look at and, and really plant a lot of the seeds and a lot of the ideas ahead of time. So when you get there, you can network and dialogue with other folks in other cities, other archdioceses that have similar positions, but also, uh, you know, maybe some have different positions and what we can learn from them as well. So I think the, the fruit is really going to be dialogue um, amongst ourselves and amongst other dioceses so we can really learn how to implement the new evangelization. It's really just a continuation of the great work of of Pope Paul VI, John Paul II, Pope Benedict, Pope Francis is continuing to pick up that mantle and talking about we have to become an evangelizing church. You know, Paul VI says that evangelizing is the core identity of the church, right? It's, it's our deepest identity. And if we're going to continue to live that, we have to be able to infuse it into everything we do. And this convocation, this conference really helps us live that, understand that, and really just verbalize what a lot of us already know. But if we don't have the language to speak on it the same way, it's going to be confusing to the people. So uh, if we can't get it right in this building and amongst our different departments, how can we expect the parishes and the parishioners to get it right as well? So it's really a gut check and a reality check for us to analyze what we're doing and the way we work together to really just advance the gospel. Yeah. Challenging, but also a great opportunity then. Uh, looking forward to this convocation. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for going and, and uh, going with this, this great group of people to, to learn more about the church. Uh, if you want to know more information about it, again, check out the St. Louis Review either online, stlouisreview.com. It's the uh, uh, in the print edition, July second. Sorry, June 26th through July 2nd. The headline is Delegates Get Fired Up for Historic Convocation. And you can read more about the Convocation of Catholic Leaders. And look forward over the next six months, a year, to see you know what might come from this. You might be hearing stuff in your parishes or through the ministry that you're interested in about uh, some of the things that have come from this meeting. So stay tuned for that. And uh, you're listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We always welcome story tips and ideas for the podcast. 
just send them to communications at archstl.org. That's communications at archstl.org. Make sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with what's going on here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis. We're on Twitter, at ArchSTL is our handle there, at ArchSTL. And we're on Instagram, at CatholicSTL. And you should follow the St. Louis Review. They're on Facebook, also Twitter and Instagram, under the handle, at St. Louis Review. That's St. Louis Review. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. We hope you'll join us again next time here in the Gateway to the West, the Rome of the West, Catholic St. Louis. Catholic St. Louis.